All right, I'd like to read this for us as we begin. Chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way that you work in our life. That when we come to know Christ, you change us from the inside out. And by your Holy Spirit, you begin to produce in us those qualities that are the evidence of your grace. Father, I pray that we would do all that we can to cooperate with you in that process. To yield our life to you fully so that your Holy Spirit might have free reign in us. And that we might become more and more like Christ in all that we say and do. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. When the weather changes, we dress differently. Now that may seem like an obvious statement, but you know that living in Minnesota. In January in Minnesota, when the weather dips below zero, you got to dress a little bit differently if you're going to survive. And we reach for the sweaters or the warmer parka, especially if you're going to be doing stuff outside, and you dress appropriately. And if in the winter you have the privilege or opportunity to go to a place like Florida, well, then you hope that you're going to be able to leave the parka behind and you can put on some shorts and sandals. And occasionally in the news you'll see those stories where people reverse that, and you'll see times when people are wearing parkas in Florida, and you'll see people in Minnesota that in January will be wearing shorts and sandals. But it seems a little bit out of place at times, doesn't it? I remember one very cold winter when my sister and her family were going down to Florida. And they live in Grand Forks, and uh, they were going from there down to Florida, and so they left those below zero temps and ended up in Florida where it was 60 to 70 degrees every day. And their kids especially loved it. But their young son, Michael, at that time, he was probably about three years old, was in for a rude awakening when they got back to Grand Forks. Because the next morning he got up and he put on that swimsuit and he was ready to hit the beach again. You know, but it wasn't quite the same temperature outside. And he was in for a shock to realize that something had changed. When the weather changes, we dress differently. And when we come to know Christ, we dress differently too. Although we aren't talking about clothing here, Paul uses this as a metaphor to describe the change that takes place in our life when we come to know Christ. And we begin to realize that there are things that we need to put off or lay aside like an old garment. And there are things that we need to put on, the garments of grace. And that's what we're going to be talking about in these verses here. Last week we talked about putting off or putting to death things that were part of the old nature. Things like sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires and greed. All of those things are to be put behind us. They are part of the old way of life. And in their place, we are to put on these garments of grace. And the garments of grace are the virtues that we see listed here in verses 12 to 14. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Very similar to what Paul would write about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. 
they are an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in us. When we see these things in our life growing and increasing, they are an evidence of how the Holy Spirit works in us. And they are also the virtues we see in the life of Jesus Christ. These virtues relate to three areas. They relate to how we see ourselves, how we treat others, and how we respond to the way that others treat us. And that's what we'll look at this morning. Number one, we are to see ourselves as God sees us. We are to see ourselves as God sees us. Verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with these things. How does God see us? Well, there are three words that are used there. Paul tells us that we have been chosen by God. Chosen by God. If in his audience there were people who were hearing this that had come from a Jewish background, they would make a connection there. All through the Old Testament, God had talked about Israel as his chosen people. That they were chosen not because they were more numerous or more powerful or any better than anybody else. That wasn't the reason at all. God had chosen them to be his people simply because he loved them and he had a plan and a purpose for their life. And so he had called them into this unique relationship with himself that they might be a witness to the nations of the glory of God. And the same thing is true of the church. We have been chosen by God. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9 that you are a chosen people, a, whole, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You know, you think about those things, how God has called us to be His people. What a tremendous privilege that is. He tells us both in that verse as well as here in Colossians that we are holy in His sight. And there are two sides to holiness as you think about it or dig into this word. On the one side, holiness reminds us that our sins have been taken away. We are forgiven and our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. They have been dealt with at the cross. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. When you think about that verse, I mean, it's an interesting description there. How do you measure distance between the east and the west? I mean, where do you start? Where do you end? As far as the east is from the west, it is not possible to measure that. That's a figure of speech that's meant to describe how limitless or how immeasurable is God's grace for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. The other side of holiness is this. The word holy means to be set apart or consecrated or dedicated to God. We have been set apart for a reason. To know Him and to make Him known. God calls us into this relationship with Himself. It's what Jesus did with the disciples. He wanted those disciples to spend time with Him so that they might know Him. And then he sent them out to preach and to share the good news. And so we're called into this relationship with God too, to know him and to make him known to the world. We have been chosen to declare the glories of his 
marvelous grace. You know, when I think about that, I mean, those are tremendous opportunities. Whether it is with an individual that we know who maybe doesn't know Christ yet, and we have been building a relationship and looking for opportunities to tell that story, or whether it's through missions and missionary efforts. I think even of what Mike has shared and will share, you know, how this ministry with Guatemala developed and how here comes this opportunity to tell the whole valley this story about Christ and what he has done. God does that. He opens doors. He puts us in situations where at times just like this we have an opportunity to declare his glory on a wider scale. And what a tremendous privilege that is. And thirdly, Scripture tells us that we are dearly loved by God. That God sees us as His children whom He loves. He loves us unconditionally. We are unconditionally loved by our Father in Heaven. And what a great blessing that is. What happens to a child when they are deeply loved by their Father? What happens in the life of children when they know that their parents care for them and accept them? It changes the way a child views themselves too and they find this sense of security or freedom or joy as they delight in that relationship with their parents. It gives them tremendous confidence to develop their gifts and become the person that God wanted them to be. You know, recently I've been reading um, David McCullough's book called Mornings on Horseback. It's about the life of Teddy Roosevelt, especially his younger years growing up until that time when uh, he would be brought to that point where he became President of the United States. And as I read this story, I'm thinking about Teddy Roosevelt's father, as he is described, is just a very good man. He's a man who loved his children deeply. He adored his wife. He was a man who was active in the church. He was a member of the Presbyterian Church at that time in New York City where they lived. And he was a man who had inherited a sizable fortune from his family. But he felt a tremendous responsibility to use those resources well. And so he used those resources to help build hospitals and orphanages, to care for the poor, or to build museums in the city. Uh, he used them in very generous ways. In fact, his children called him Great Heart. Great Heart. And they saw that quality in their dad, and they admired that in him. And when he died suddenly at the age of 46, there was a hole that was left in that family. I remember reading the description about those days when he was ill and dying, how in the streets in front of their home there were children who filled that, those streets. There were orphans and there were newsboys. And when Teddy Roosevelt's father died, they wept in the streets. They felt like they had lost the best friend that they had ever had, who had cared for their needs and their concerns. How did his father's love affect Teddy Roosevelt? Well, it gave him tremendous confidence in his life, security, and freedom. And more than anything else, he wanted to please his father. He wanted to live his life in a way that would honor his dad. He knew that his gifts were different. He had different qualities, different characteristics, but he wanted to develop those and use it in a way that honored his 
Father as he left his mark on the world. Now I think about that. When we understand how much God loves us, it changes the way we live too. And maybe you grew up in a home where your father was not like that, and so it's difficult for you at times to picture God as a loving father. He is, and he cares about you deeply. And if you can imagine the very best of relationships between a parent and a child, that's how much God loves you and even more. And when we grow in that and we understand that God's will for us, he desires the very best, that he cares about us, he wants us to grow in our relationship with him, there is tremendous freedom in that. Confidence to become the person that God wants us to be. I think of how Teddy Roosevelt even would quote that verse that the righteous are as bold as a lion. He understood that grace and love changes the way that we live and look at ourselves. We are deeply loved by God. Well, secondly, we are to treat others as God treats us. And we see that also in verse 12. In these qualities that we are to put on. Paul writes that we are to clothe ourselves with garments like these, these garments of grace. And when you look at this list of five qualities that are listed here, you will see that they are essential for harmony in the body of Christ. They are visible in Jesus' life. You can find every one of these in the life of Jesus as we read about that in the Gospels. And for us to put these on is to understand what it means to be Christ-like in our attitudes and our actions. We are to clothe ourselves, first of all, with compassion. And compassion is showing mercy and tenderness toward the suffering or the needs of others. It's more than a feeling. Compassion causes people to act. You are moved to do something. And that was unusual in Paul's day. Kent Hughes, who is a pastor, writes that the ancient world, apart from biblical revelation, was merciless. The maimed and the sickly and the aged were discarded, treated like a burden or useless. The mentally ill were subjected to inhumanities. But Christianity brought compassion, and it still does. William Barclay said, It is not too much to say that everything that has been done for the aged the sick, the weak in body and in mind, the animal, the child, the woman has been done under the inspiration of Christianity. When you look at the start of, of education or hospitals or orphanages or care for those who are needy in our world, it all came out of Christianity and that movement. As people began to understand what God had done for us and how he wanted us to treat one another. They were moved with compassion to make a difference in their world and to come alongside those that are suffering. Compassion is what motivated Mother Teresa to care for the poor in India. Compassion is what motivated Bob Pierce to start World Vision. Bob Pierce wrote in his Bible these words, Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. That's compassion. And it's what still motivates the church to get involved to help with needs all around the world. 
we are to put on the quality of kindness, and kindness is defined as goodness or graciousness. It is love and action, and it shows itself both in our words and in our deeds. Now, what's interesting to me is how this word kindness is used in several different ways in the Scripture. In Romans 11.22, kindness is listed as the opposite of sternness. It is not severe or harsh. Kindness can be used of a wine that has mellowed and lost its harshness. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Kindness is also used to describe Jesus' yoke. When he said that my yoke is easy, that word is kind. My yoke is kind. It's good. It's gracious. It's not meant to be a heavy burden for you, but it's meant to be for your good. It is used of God Himself when it says that it is His kindness that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God, His grace, His goodness, leads us into a relationship with Himself. And that kindness is to be reflected in our actions and in our words. There's a story that was told about George Bernard Shaw and Winston Churchill. And on one occasion, George Bernard Shaw wrote a letter to Churchill. And he said, Enclosed are two tickets to the opening night of my first play. Bring a friend, if you have one. And Churchill replied, Dear Mr. Shaw, Unfortunately, I'll be unable to attend the opening night of your play due to a prior engagement. Please send me tickets for a second night, if you have one. Now, there's some humor in those verses, obviously, but the words can also be kind of a dig. And when I think about kindness, even in our speech, we are to be careful about those things that we say. And there can be that kind of loving banter and communication in our relationships with one another. But we also are to speak in such a way that we show God's grace and kindness. When I think of two other qualities of humility and gentleness... Those two qualities were not considered virtues in the ancient world. And in many cases, they aren't really highly regarded today either by people. There are those who would rather boast of what they have done or proclaim themselves as the greatest or the best. There's an arrogance that comes across in that. Humility is not like that. And in the Scripture... And in Christianity, humility and gentleness are two of the highest and most noble of virtues. Humility is having a right estimation of oneself. The humble know who they are in relation to God and others. They are not proud or boastful. They don't insist on being first in everything. Jesus was humble in spirit, Matthew 11:29. And he said, learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me what humility is and you will find rest or peace for your souls. Humility is a quality we need to model and teach to our children. We need to teach our children how to deal with both success and adversity. How to persevere through trials. How to handle both winning and losing with grace and to be able to do that well. I think we need to look to the example of athletes 
who understand that as well. When our kids are involved in sports, I mean, there are many different models out there on how people handle success or winning or losing. And I think when we can point to those athletes who do that well, it is a role model for our children. Gentleness is the opposite of arrogance. It is translated as meekness sometimes in the scripture, but meekness again is not weakness. Gentleness does not mean being wishy-washy. It's not a pushover. It's not being timid or fearful about what we are going to say. No, gentleness is strength under control. Moses was described as humble and meek. In fact, one of the meekest men on all the earth, and yet there was tremendous strength in his character. Jesus called himself gentle, humble in spirit, and yet he was strong, as all of us know. And when I think about this quality of gentleness as strength under control or gentleness as being considerate of the feelings of others, it adds a different dimension to it. The Bible tells us that we are to teach and correct with gentleness, with strength under control, with conviction and authority because this is the Word of God, yet considerate of people's feelings in the way that we come across. And we are to evangelize with gentleness, with strength under control, with conviction and authority in what we say, yet with sensitivity for the needs and the feelings of others. That's what the scripture is saying. And then the fifth quality here is that of patience. We are to be long-suffering. Patience is the ability to wait on God in the midst of trials. And it shows itself as self-restraint when it is wrong. The patient do not try to get even or harbor a grudge or is not looking for a way to get back at somebody or to even the score. The patient trusts God to work. And they wait upon God and they pray and they take action in ways that are appropriate and honor God and not in ways that are vengeful. And when you look at this list then, do you see how important all of these qualities are for community, for relationships with one another and in our family? I mean, these are the qualities that we need in a home and in the church and in our world. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And it's why God was calling us out to be a new community for Christ. And thirdly, we are to respond to others the way that God responds to us. And we see that in verses 13 and 14. We are to respond with forbearance and with forgiveness and with love. Forbearance, bear with one another. Forbearance is being patient and and accepting of others in spite of their faults. Uh, It's recognizing that we are not perfect. God is not finished with us yet. And he's not finished with our brothers and sisters. And so there are going to be times when we may rub up against each other the wrong way. And it's not sin, it's just that we are still growing or we have our personal preferences or differences in our personalities. And we learn to recognize the strengths in others and we thank God for them. And we understand that God is still at work in the hearts of those that maybe we are discipling or working with. 
I think of those that are involved in youth ministry, working with teenagers and their enthusiasm, but times when they also maybe go a little bit too far. And it takes patience, bearing with one another in the body of Christ. I think about working with young children and their energy and excitement and enthusiasm too, when sometimes they do things that are just being kids. And it takes patience and loving them and understanding that, you know, one day, by the grace of God, those kids are going to be the future leaders of the church. And those qualities of, you know, kind of that rambunctiousness that they may have at this age may be the very quality that God wants to use in the future to make them a leader. It takes patience and bearing with and understanding one another. Forgiveness, if we're going to live in harmony... We need to forgive one another when we sin. And we will sin. I mean, that's why it's in here in the text. I mean, this isn't hypothetical about forgiving one another. These are real issues. That in in the church, there are going to be times when we have to forgive one another in the body of Christ. And we need to own up to that. And when we are wrong, we need to say we were wrong or I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for what I said or what I did? And then it says that we are to forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. Whatever grievances. There's no limitation on that. It's pretty inclusive, isn't it? We are to forgive just as the Lord has forgiven us. That's the standard or that's the measure of our forgiveness. It's to be just as gracious and generous and loving as God has shown toward us. It's hard to do but it's necessary for harmony in the body of Christ. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Not just some, but all when we bring it to Him. And in that same way, we are to forgive one another when they come to us and admit their sin and say uh, and ask for their ask for forgiveness from us, we are to show that in that same kind of gracious way. The last virtue mentioned here is the most inclusive. It is love. If the others are garments of grace that we are to put on, you can think of love as the overcoat that covers everything else. Paul says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In fact, all of the other virtues are simply manifestations of love. They show us what love is. Love binds them all together. You have heard these words before, but think about 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. It really picks up on everything that Paul has been writing about here to the Colossians. I mean, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient and it is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It's another way of saying that love is humble. It's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's another way of saying that love doesn't just think about ourself. Love looks out and is concerned about the interests of others. And love does not delight in evil but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. 
And those are the qualities that we see in Jesus and those are the qualities that he wants to see in us. That's what it means to be a people who are becoming more and more like Christ. God wants us to love one another just as he loves us. So we look at this list. These are the garments of grace. These are the things that God wants us to put on in our life. And they take work and they take being intentional on our part. And before we can put on the new, the old must be laid aside like an old garment. All those things that were part of the old way of life, the old nature, we put them aside. And in their place, we walk with Christ and we invite him to come and fill us with his Holy Spirit and begin to produce in us these things like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. I like how Marianne Williamson said it. She said, when you ask God into your life, you think that he's going to come into your psychic house or come into your life and you're thinking of it like a house, okay? And you think he's going to look around and he's going to see that you just need a little cleaning. You know, you're not so bad and it's just going to take a little kind of cleaning here or freshening up over there. And then one day you look outside the window of your house and you see a wrecking ball. Turns out that God thinks your foundation is shot and he's going to have to tear down the whole thing and start over again. You know, that's how it is. When you come to know Christ, he doesn't try to patch up the old. These aren't issues that can be taken care of with just some wallpaper and paint. No, he wants to tear down the old and replace it with the new. And he wants us to build our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so we come and we surrender our selfishness and our pride to him. And we come and we ask him to forgive us and to make us a new creation in Christ. And it might be painful. It might be painful giving up some of those things that we once held on to and thought were so important. There might be struggles along the way. But oh, the joy that comes when you are free in Christ. And you begin to see what He has in store for you and you begin to walk in His paths. And you understand that He is indeed humble and kind and gentle. And He wants to lead you in the ways that are best for your life. Will you surrender your life to Him today? Let's pray. Father, there are times in our life when we come again to that point of recommitment. Maybe today is one of those days for you. And maybe you just realize that there's some things in your life that you haven't given up yet that need to be torn down and the wrecking ball is sitting there outside of your house. Would you give that to God today? Any pride, any sins of the flesh, any habits that need to be changed or attitudes that need to be changed, any unforgiveness or bitterness, any arrogance, and say, Lord, here I am. Would you make me new in Christ? And would you build those qualities into my life because, Lord, I need it. I need it today and I need it every day. Forgive me for my sin. 
Help me, Lord, to walk with you and to grow in my relationship with you. And to see you begin to produce in me those qualities that lead to real freedom, real joy, real meaning and purpose. I ask it in Jesus' name.